What's up everyone and welcome to episode 86 of the Justin Insight Podcast, a show where I, Tim Burbeck, talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. I hope everyone's well. This intro is probably going to be a little bit shorter than have been usually in the last couple of weeks as I haven't really got a whole lot to save, haven't got a whole lot to catch you up on. So for those who don't like hearing the sound of my voice, myself being one of them, um, I'm going to keep this as little and as short as possible. Um, Recording this again on a Sunday, so you might be able to hear a little bit of the NFL in the background, also possibly fireworks, which are happening right outside my window. Um, So yeah, uh, the reason I'm recording this on Sunday rather than the Monday is because I'm off to Brighton to go see uh, Wicker Face Springs Eternal, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, Like... I'm not really sure what to expect, but I like his music, so it'll be be a cool show regardless. Um, so yeah, also the, another reason this is going to be quite short, there's only a few little bits of news that I'm going to be sharing with you, so let's get straight into that. Um, and I do feel like we're going back to the early 2000s for, for this news, it's a bit weird. But starting off, one of my favourite bands of all time, Thursday, uh, they've just announced they're doing an extensive UK, uh, US tour, sorry. I know I don't generally talk about US stuff as much, but the reason I wanted to to mention the significance of this is because they're doing two dates in each city that they're going to. Uh, one night they're playing Full Collapse in its entirety, the next they're playing War All The Time, which are my two favourite Thursday albums. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that they bring this over to the UK as well. Um, another reason I'm mentioning this is because they're actually taking Vane out on this tour, which is really bizarre. Because they're well, it's not bizarre because Vane are like the hottest band right now, but obviously musically they are completely uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. But fair play to the guys in Vane; they're getting off at all these rad tours and they're exposing that sort of side of hardcore to more people. So yeah, that's happening out in the US. Uh, I think it's early January off the top of my head, without looking at the poster. Um, the other bit of news, which again, going back to the early 2000s, Slipknot, they've released a new track. Uh, it's called All Out Life, and because it's Slipknot, it's fucking rad. That's all you need to know. Um, if you want to listen to it, uh, I think it's streaming on their official website, but obviously you can find it on YouTube, Spotify, and all the relevant places that you find your music. Uh, and lastly, uh, kind of related to the Thursday news a little bit in the terms that this band released a split EP with them uh, Japanese Screamo Gods Envy have released a new two track EP uh, it kind of came out of nowhere there was no sort of uh, tease or anything as, as far as I'm aware there could have been but it might have been something that slipped under my radar but yeah it is a thing of absolute beauty literally as soon as it came out I think I listened to it about 10 times straight um, so highly recommend going to listen to that if you're into your sort of atmospheric screamo sort of stuff um right before we get into to my guest just a little reminder if you're a fan of this show or if this is your first time listening to the show and you enjoy it please go hit the subscribe button uh or every additional subscriber helps if give us a little review uh a little rating as well that'll be yeah massive help in trying to get this podcast further and further afield uh, as it seems to be happening at the moment which thank you very much everyone um, right enough of me let's get into this week's guest uh, and I'm joined by single mother's vocalist Drew Thompson 
Um, this was recorded just after the band had released their new record, Through a Wall, which was a kind of a, a surprise release, quote-unquote. It kind of came out with no uh, PR cycle like most records do. Um, so it was really cool to get, get Drew on. Uh, we spoke about how he sort of discovered music through old VHS tapes, which is kind of similar how, to how I did it. Uh, what the music scene was like growing up in London, 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 Ontario, Canada, um, and sort of also a weird thing: him having a career in real estate and gold prospecting before he kind of fully committed to to single mothers, even though it was kind of his little baby when it first started. Um, and also with single mothers, how is he kind of views it as a as a bit of a broken society in terms of members, and it's sort of being a revolving door of people of when they're available to make make the band happen. So yeah. Um, also a tiny small caveat, as when we were recording this conversation, um, our line just all of a sudden went dead about ten minutes towards the end of the conversation. Um, so there is a bit of a a skip in in the audio. But I've tried to edit and blend it as well as possible, so hopefully you won't be able to to notice it. But in case you're thinking what the fuck's going on here, here's a heads up. Um, so yeah, that is it. Please enjoy the chat that I have with Drew, and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so uh, joining me this week on the Justin Inside podcast is a vocalist of Single Mothers, uh, Drew Thompson. Drew, thank you very much for for joining me. How's everything in in your world? Uh, it's good. It's good. It's really nice out today. I, I'm in Hamilton, Ontario, just outside of Toronto, and um, upstairs uh, above a mall, there's like a little patio thing. Oh, nice! Just running it, just running errands. Yeah. <laughs> so caught you in between in in between jobs and sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just well, I had to up a couple things and go to the bank and deposit non-existent money yeah <laughs> doing doing the doing the good stuff cool well as as i mentioned just before i kind of hit the record button the show justin insight is kind of a, a retrospective look at my guest's sort of musical journey so to say so how i kind of like to to kick things off is to ask my guest how they sort of got involved in alternative music and what their first exposure of alternative music was. So what what kind of got you into into that world in the first place? Like way, way back, I guess, when I was in, when I was really young, like I guess grade six, seven, um, uh, I guess like, like Dookie was probably the first kind of punkish right. album I got into and, and I just loved it. And then I got into like um, this Everclear album, so so much for the Afterglow. I yeah, think it's called. And I was just, I was like twelve, and I was obsessed with that record. <laughs> yeah. And I got deeper into the Everclear backlog. Um, and yeah, that just kind of started me looking into other things. Um, what's the Dude Ranch from Liquidity Two came out yeah. around that time. I got really into that one. Um, and yeah, I guess that, those bands kind of kicked me off when I was really, really young, and I just have kind of been in that world ever since. So, was there sort of a specific sort of person that kind of put put you on to Dookie, or was it just a case that you'd kind of seen it sort of swirling around and thought you'd check it out, kind of thing? Yeah, in Canada, we had a, a thing called Much Music, which is like our version of MTV. Right. And okay. At, 
late at night they had a half an hour program called the wedge and i think it came out at like 11 30 and i was probably too young to i should have been up that late <laughs> yeah and i would <laughs> i would tape every episode on vhs and i would just like watch it religiously all week until the next one came out and take notes of all the different bands and we got into skateboarding at that time. Um, there was a 411 Australian Vacation skate video that came out. Right, okay. And there, there was a Lagwagon song on uh, on that specific skate video that like opened my doors more to like the Fat Record catalog and stuff. Yeah. Get into grade nine in high school, and it all just kind of happened organically. I I guess. <laughs> yeah. Just a lot of that music going on. Yeah. It, it all harpers back, really, to VHS tape. Yeah. I, th- about it. I think that was kind of uh, a similar sort of thing over here. Like, we used to get in sort of, uh, like, Kerrang! magazine. They used to have, like, a sample VHS tape, and it had, like, the old sort of... It was, it was kind of when new Metal was v- very sort of of the time. So, you, so you'd have, like, Slipknot videos, uh, Machine Head, and things like that. So that was kind of... My, my breaking ground into it as well wow. too, I guess that's wild they would come with a VHS that must have been uh, take up a lot of space on the magazine shelf but yeah they kind of had like these weird little like little pocket things at the front of them and that's kind of it just sort of sat in that so yeah that was kind of yeah. my, my way in so in terms of kind of your exploration kind of thing from from there you said obviously mentioning sort of like skate videos and things like that so was there quite a, a hub for it in Ontario, in Canada? Like, was there quite a good little scene for you growing up? Um, yeah, for sure. Especially in, in the town that I grew up in, London, Ontario, there wasn't... Um, it's kind of secluded. It's not It's not too close to Toronto, which is the, the big city, so it had to kind of survive on its own scene. Mm. And there were a lot of bands that were really big in London um, that weren't really big anywhere else, but could sell out shows in London easily. And so I got... I got kind of sucked into that scene, started going to the Embassy Hotel um, pretty much every weekend just because they didn't ID. <laughs> yeah. so I, could go, I could go there at 15 and 16 and drink and watch bands and with my friends. Um, and then we started, you know, playing shows there and going to call the office, um, which is another another London institution and seeing all of these touring acts come through. And we would get more smaller acts in London. Um, so I would see all of these bands coming through and just pick up their records and and kind of keep an open mind. Mm. I would just go to... Sh- I wouldn't know what was even going on on those weekends. We would just always be at those venues. Yeah. So we caught a lot of bands that I wouldn't normally see. And uh, that opened up my eyes quite a bit. And I'm very lucky for that. I love London, Ontario. It's, it's a great place. And in terms of kind of your your own personal sort of musical exploration obviously people will know you for obviously being the vocalist of single mothers and obviously doing um the drew thompson foundation but what was your kind of first sort of introduction of playing live music did you always want to be vocals or did you try an instrument to start off where where did those foundations come from um, I think I, I always wanted to be a songwriter, um, but I, I just had no confidence in it for the longest time. Um, so I ended up playing guitar in, in a lot of bands, but I'm a shit guitar player. <laughs> and so so I, I'd been replaced a couple times. And um, even in Single Mothers, when Single Mothers started, I was playing guitar and singing. And the band 
got like you know a hundred percent better as soon as I got off guitar. And just went to <laughs> At least so, you're honest about it. Yeah, I just don't. It's maybe it's a coordination thing, or I'm lazy and don't like to practice. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I just always wanted to be a songwriter. With all of the music that I that I really love, my favorite thing are the lyrics. Yeah, um, and I was I was just always drawn to that. So it's just something I've been doing for the longest. It's been my longest hobby. It's just the only thing I never, I always stuck with and never gave up on. Mm. Just because I like doing it. So when did you kind of start playing live music yourself? Like, what what kind of age were you? Uh, I think my my very first show was in grade. I think I was in grade seven or grade eight. I was in public school, yeah, um, probably eleven, and I was in a Green Day cover band. Nice. <laughs> and we, yeah, we played one show in front of the whole school for like a talent thing, and um, I completely screwed i blanked on all the words and oh no all of a sudden i forgot to play everything and um it didn't go well um and then the next band i was in um i started in high school it was called i think it was called ran for miles and that was the first band that i started like actually writing my own songs for yeah um, that lasted for a little bit and then i met up with some other guys that had a different high school and joined their band um which I just played guitar in, and that was like the first kind of real band with with talented guys. Yeah, I remember the first time I practiced with them, I was so blown away by their drummer. Uh, I was just in awe, and I, I just needed to be in that band. But it, it ended up breaking up. Um, you know, when bands break up. Yeah. But but that was kind of it. I yeah, that's when I started playing guitar more in bands and. And pretending like I knew what I was doing. Well, I would just normally go on stage and turn my guitar down about halfway, so nobody would know. And <laughs> um, was that kind of your? Were you just playing in in Ontario then, or were you sort of going further afield in that band? Um, no, none of those bands did anything. The only band I've ever toured in is Single Mothers, right? Um, and the Drew Thompson Foundation now, but. Uh, at that time, we just we just stuck to London mostly. You know, a couple shows outside of town here and there, but but nothing big. We were all still in high school and stuff. Mm. And so. before we kind of get on to to single mothers, like obviously you mentioned that London had this kind of small small scene that, but bands were kind of coming through there. So were there any sort of bands of note that you can remember sort of seeing and kind of thinking? right that's what i want to do i want to be on that stage sort of touring around and stuff like that um there i i went through a pretty strong like fourth wave ska phase (laughs) okay Um, i've seen seen catch 22 so many times they would come through london a lot um and i saw big wig a few times and i just always liked the energy of those bands a lot um and then we had some local bands called shock one was called shotgun rules yeah um who were like kind of London gods that that were just cream of the crop back then, and I I never thought that I would. They I don't think they really pushed me in a in a way to start a band, but to start single mothers or anything. But at the time, I was just like, wow, these, these are people that I know and can see on the street and like work at West Forty Nine that are just killing it. Uh, and there's nothing really special about them other than they work really hard. Yeah, and. So, Oh, sorry, go on. No, no, that was it. That was it. Sorry. I was just going to say, in terms of kind of 
I guess the formation of, of single mothers and like when did you that kind of come to be and sort of how did that formation start? Um, I was playing guitar in another band uh, with a few friends of mine and they I think they kicked me out for I was maybe got too drunk at a show or something and screwed up and I got kicked out of that band and I kind of said like okay music's over for me I I don't I give up yeah and I was actually a went into real estate for a while okay real estate agent i was a real estate agent for a couple years and it was fun but super super weird just not my crowd of people and um one night this guy kept this one guy that we worked with kept letting himself into what he thought were the vacant apartments and he he was an alcoholic and he would go out drinking and then pass out at at these empty places but one day he let himself into a place that i had uh i had already filled up like there are people living there. Oh, God. And, and the guy's dad, like, threatened to sue me and threatened to sue, you know, my company. And it, it wasn't the first time it happened. So I, I quit that job. Yeah, yeah, don't blame me. <laughs> I went to the, I remember going to the bar and being like, man, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And started Single Mothers that night with just, like, the people I was drinking with. Oh, and, wow. Okay. Uh, I went out and before we had any songs or like a real lineup i just booked a show because like i i'm a procrastinator so i have to give myself deadlines i booked a show and just made sure we had our band in order for that show and that's pretty much how it started that's crazy like yeah does it is that weird is that a kind of like a weird thing to to look back on because obviously where you guys are now like it's it just sounds it just sounds like it's quite <laughs> surreal well, it was a pretty, it wasn't like a smooth ride ever, so, um, yeah, it seems pretty crazy, but it also just, I guess, for this specific band and all of the, the ups and downs it's had, it kind of made, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we go in deeper, one thing I'd, I've got to ask, because I don't know whether this is true or not, but I saw it, looking. obviously you mentioned about working in real estate, something, did you work in gold mining? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, um, I didn't even know that was a thing in Canada. Yeah, yeah, it's a big thing. Well, it comes and goes. When gold high, it it kind of explodes. But so yeah, I quit that real estate job and I didn't find another job. I just started the band and kind of put all of the savings that I had into getting it going and like recording demos and playing shows. And I drank a lot back then. Um, and so I, I kind of rode that out until I just had absolutely no more money. And uh, I remember my hydro got cut off and I was about to get evicted. And I had called my dad kind of in like a desperate move to try and just get the next month's rent paid. And yeah. he uh, mentioned that my aunt and uncle were gold prospectors up in northern Ontario and needed some people to go work for them because they couldn't find good help up there. And... Uh, he told me to call them, and so I did. And then originally, we were only supposed to go up there for like a couple months to make some money. So we were going to try and keep the band going. But once I got up there, I ended up staying up there for close to three years. Oh, wow. Uh, working with them. So the band kind of went on hold. And actually, it, it broke up in between that time frame. Mm. So to, I just, I'm a, just kind of a bit sort of baffled at the whole idea. So. Could, <laughs> but what what do you, what does it kind of comprise of? What the gold prospecting? Yeah. Um. So there's there's gold up 
in in northern Canada in the bedrock. Um, and when gold prices are high, gold mining gold mines go into production um, kind of in over overtime. And my aunt and uncle up there they they stake out claims of land. Right. Um, a claim of a claim of land is a square kilometer, and um, you get the mineral rights for that land, and you either try and flip that land over to a to a gold mine that's in production, or or you work it yourself. Um, it's similar to the real estate game, actually, what we were doing up there, where you you get a piece of land and you you either try and sell it or or you uh, you kind of do geophysics work on it and decide if there's gold or base metals. Um, on the land you have, and you can either work it yourself or, or try and flip it. So, but was that something that I, I don't know? Because obviously I've seen you guys live, and you're quite an, an energetic guy. So was that something that I don't know? Was it an enjoyable experience for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to explain. I never, I never really explain it right. So like the whole day is you find you find like claims of land. Because these, this piece of this crown land has been uh, worked since the you know probably late 1800s. Um, so there's all of the land there has been claimed by other prospectors in the past. Right. Okay. So you go, so you find your GPS coordinates for the claims that you want, and then you go into the bush with like um, you know your backpack full of water and an axe and some tags, and you go in and you. You cut down a couple trees. You make your posts, um, and uh, you take down your GPS coordinates. So the, most of the job is actually just hiking through the, the Canadian wilderness. Oh, okay. Um, so it's it was beautiful. I loved it very much. Um, it was a great experience for me, and it was something you know, growing up in London, Ontario, that's just full of universities and bars. Something I had never done before. So it was a bit of a learning curve, but it was definitely you know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, if we if we go back to the to the music side of things, so I kind of first discovered Single Mothers off the EP Wild Party actually. So I've kind of been there since the beginning to to some extent. Wow. So Amazing. for for you, like, what was it kind of like? Was it kind of because obviously I know a lot of people's exposure was kind of when you got picked up by Secret Voice and that, that kind of momentum sort of started pushing you. So was there ever kind of a, an idea of, of you sort of pushing it to, to the extent of getting exposure? Or when you first started, was it just, this is my outlet, this is what I want to do kind of thing? It was definitely just a thing we were doing to kind of play in our hometown. Um, I never thought it was going to go anywhere. When we did Wild Party... We, we recorded that in my friend's basement um, just really for our friends and, and in London uh, with a small scene it, it's kind of it's almost like competitive like oh you guys you know your friends put out a record you're like oh I'm going to put out a record now. yeah or something else and I had um, <laughs> this sounds dumb but I had an ex-girlfriend who was dating a guy in another band in London that was really popular and all I really wanted to do was like have a show bigger than their band. Really. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, that was my that was my whole goal with it. The other guys believed in it more. Maybe it's just a self confidence issue I have. Um, but I never thought it was going to go anywhere. So I, I took it seriously 
to the point that I just really wanted to have fun and, and try uh, singing these songs and being a front person. Mm. But it was strictly just for shits and giggles at, at that point. And as I mentioned, obviously, people kind of started picking you up, obviously, from the the Secret Voice release. So yeah. was it kind of... Again, kind of going back to the kind of surreal sort of nature of, of the band, I guess, like you mentioned there like there's been sort of highs and lows with the band but when that kind of notoriety started getting out there was it a, a strange situation for you to see your name going from being this little local band in london ontario to being brought all the way across to to us here in the uk uh yeah definitely um yeah it was a it was a trip for sure because before jeremy picked up that seven inch we recorded it got it mixed but i was up north uh, you know I, I lived 10 hours away at that point from london and so we had already broken the band up we had already said like yeah we're not going to do any more shows the band had done a few shows actually without me in it um and they they went fine i i, I imagine but i don't think it, it was the same yeah. so we had we had decided to break up we had actually opened for touche amore before we left Okay. And um, gave Jeremy, that's how we met Jeremy, and like gave him our band email and whatnot. But we were so disorganized and didn't really care at that point that I, I think we all, nobody knew the password to get into that email. <laughs> um, so I, I think he tried to get a hold of us a couple times, but we never knew. And then, um, yeah, they played in Toronto, and our drummer went and just was like, hey, Jeremy, do you remember me? I play in Single Mothers. This is our seven-inch thing that we had recorded before Drew left, and he, he liked it and asked us if we wanted to, if he could put it out. But, yeah, by, by that point, I had given up on the band um, and was considered myself a gold prospector. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty big trip. Once he put it out, we decided we'd get back together for some shows and... Uh, then we decided we'd get back together for a tour and then things just kept kind of picking up and so we just got back together and thought, you know, this might be the only chance we get to push this band. We we should probably do it. Mm. And I, I came back and I quit World Prospecting. Was that the, the case? Because as you mentioned, obviously you left the band to go to do the prospecting, but was it the case of... I, I don't want to say that because you were getting popular that you wanted to come back, but that you'd sort of seen that you'd kind of almost been hooked back in because there was a wave of momentum and you were getting sort of more shows and things and that, and you kind of got the buzz back again. Uh, yeah, that was definitely like contributed to it. Um, but I, I always wanted to be in that band. It was just making it work while I was so far away. Right. Um, okay. And having things kind of pick up, well, working first off gave me a gave me a little bit of money so I could afford to go on tour and things like that. But um, yeah, Jeremy, if Jeremy didn't put it out, we probably just never would have got back together because there was just you know, I logistically it was almost impossible. Yeah. Um, but even while I was up there, we did play a couple shows. Like I would drive down and we'd do a couple shows over the weekend or something like that. But it was just becoming. It was just becoming hard. Mm. Yeah, and in terms of kind of sort of, I guess turnover in band members sort of thing. Obviously, you mentioned you stepped away for a bit. There's been sort of numerous kind of lineup changes within the band. 
has mm-hmm. and obviously even kind of going back to sort of um our our pleasure there was obviously sort of things around that whether it you were going to get the time to write it and release it and things that was very well publicized so i don't know has it kind of been something within the band that it's just sort of you kind of let the cards lay where they fall or is it i don't i'm trying to see how it feels in from the inside kind of that kind of revolving door is it sort of a a strange situation or does it just seem to work it works like even from the very beginning when we kind of came up with the idea of the band i wanted it to be more like a like a broken social scene kind of thing but just as a punk band where we could get whoever can play the shows to come out and play and we write with a lot of people um when we first started single mothers and i booked that first show i told everybody like i don't I, I, I don't want to ever have to cancel a show. Like, yeah, I, I won't ask you guys to take time off work if you don't want to. Um, but if we have a show, I'm going to I'm gonna play it. And um, that was just the understanding from the get-go. So a lot of people came in for a little bit and then left just because, you know, they can't play a show. Um, we would just have a fill-in kind of thing. Mm. Um, but then that fill-in person would slowly kind of become in, get in the band and nobody the thing is like nobody was ever really nobody was really kicked out of the band right um because of that it was just kind of it was just an open door policy and it still is um i have touring lineups and i've got recording friends and it still is the the guiding principle of the band is like we're the band is going to do these things and whoever is involved that wants to can but i'm not gonna i because i gave up a lot to be in the band i don't expect everybody to yeah and um i i just want to be able to do what the band needs to do to keep it you know alive or what <laughs> or you know what i mean yeah no. um, so it's so it's definitely worked for us and i love writing with lots of different people um the guys in our pleasure that wrote it like justice and and ross and brandon and i ross now plays in the dirty nail but he still fills in for single mother shows. Luke from the Dirty Nil comes in and fills in guitar sometimes. Justice is married now and is doing a master's degree, but he's playing a show with us next week. Like it's everybody's still kind of in the band, um, just when they can be. Yeah, and is that a kind of obviously in a way you're the 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 one constant so does that kind of put pressure on you or is it the the fact that you have this sort of array of musicians that you can kind of draw from like not necessarily as and when you need them but just sort of to to kind of get your I guess your outlet as a vocalist like you're able to say right I've got this guy this guy this guy can we make it work sort of thing does that make sense um yeah no I love it it's I I get to play with all of my friends instead of just three of them so um i get to write with lots of different people um and still have it all fall under the single mother's umbrella Mm. um i guess like technically every single mother's full length could be under a different name (laughs) whenever whenever i start yelling on something it all just sounds like the mother's so i keep it under that umbrella and i i I think i'm really lucky that it's worked out this way so far Mm. Um, and I, I feel very lucky and privileged to have surrounded myself with so many great musicians and um, I don't think it works for every band or it would work for every band but it's worked for me and it's worked for single mothers and 
Um, I think it keeps the band exciting and fresh for the people involved in it. And it, it definitely helps. Like, I just like writing songs. Yeah. And, um, if I can write songs with 10 people instead of just three, then all, all the better. Kind of thing <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned there, obviously, when you start screaming, it kind of all sounds like a, a single mother's thing. And, and that's one thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about is you, you do have a very unique voice in the fact that I think even, obviously we'll get into the new record a bit more in a moment, but as soon as that kick, like the first riff and whatever is, it's a cool riff, but as soon as your voice kicks in, it's like, okay, it's a single mother's record sort of thing. So have you, have you found that that's been like advantageous for, for you, that you do have that unique USB of, of your voice? Well, first, I'm glad you said unique instead of bad. <laughs> um, yeah, like I have tried to start other harder bands um, that weren't going to be single mothers. But as soon as I started doing just kind of what I do, it all just sounds like single mothers. So I've, I've, I've always stopped and I just stopped trying to do those things. It's I, I just uh, seem to have, I don't know. Yeah, I just kind of. Do I have I don't know yeah I guess I have a, a certain way of singing um, that I is my one trick yeah <laughs> that's what I stick to that's what I like doing so um, it's different with like the Drew Thompson Foundation stuff where I, I write most of the music and, and sing and all those songs are based around like acoustic guitars in my in my bedroom yeah single mothers I try I usually try and stay away from the music as much as I can just and, and see what happens. Um, I love getting guys in a room together and just going like, let's see, let's see. Yeah. Um, and, and it's my favorite part of, of jamming and writing. Um, but but yeah, I guess I do have a, a certain way. Yeah, yeah, a certain sound. But what what I mean is like, because I think a lot of people that obviously are fans of, of single mothers, a massive part of them is, part of it is your voice. So do you think that that's, helped with the kind of growth of the band is that you do have compared to sort of other kind of punk bands that are around at the moment either a lot of them are kind of going a lot heavier or is a just a more straight up shout or they're kind of different trying different genres whereas throughout the records even though the music might have changed your voice is still the one constant so do you think that has helped you in in growing the single mother's brand so to say um oh yeah i think so and obviously, like I think, I want to talk about. Obviously, you said about writing as well. Like I th- I've read, wrote, uh, read somewhere that some of the stuff that you've um, you've kind of written in the room when you're sort of recording and stuff. So, is it kind of in terms of inspirations and stuff? Is it just kind of whatever comes to you at the time, or do you have sort of certain things going through your head? How how do you kind of your writing process work? Um, I usually leave the lyrics kind of to the last minute and I do most of them in the studio um I don't really know how to describe the process uh usually if I just hear a song that's good and that I want to work on ideas just start coming to me right away and I'll I'll just write them down really fast either in the vocal booth or outside the vocal booth or in the studio Mm. um and, and I can tell when like a single mother song is supposed to be a single mother song because i'll start getting those ideas right away <laughs> yeah. if i don't if, yeah if, like if i if somebody sends like a lot of the time now since there's so many people involved 
we'll kind of do demos at home and send them back and forth. And I, I generally know right away, like, if I come up with an idea within the first 10 to 20 seconds of the song, that, that would be a good single mother song. And if I don't have any ideas coming to me, then I we usually pass on that and uh, and keep going in the process. That's there's no I don't really have a, a process process. I just kind of let it come to me, and I try not to edit myself too much when yeah. I'm writing. I just try and write fast. I, I find like the the more uh, time I have to spend on a song, the more frustrating it gets, and usually it it doesn't turn out as well as the as the first draft would have anyways. So. Mm. Um, and that's just how I've always. That's just how I've always done it. I I have a hard time sitting down and and just and writing. Um, yeah, I just have a hard time doing it any other way. And you mentioned kind of editing yourself, and I think one thing for for me that kind of draws draws me to to your lyrics and vocals in particular is that they are kind of raw and honest and as you say, kind of unedited. And I I guess my question is, has that kind of been something, I guess for you it's an outlet, but when kind of you've got people like me who their job is to kind of criticise music, like has that been so, so difficult for you when people have had a negative response to it that because you're put, almost wearing your heart on your sleeve or kind of thing? Uh I don't know not really um whenever we write a song i'm never thinking too far ahead um and i always assume that if people don't like it well i'll just write another one <laughs> Fair um, enough. like i like writing songs i write a lot of songs and so when people don't like one i'm just like well you know i've got another one on the way you'll probably love so um yeah, I've definitely maybe made some calls in the past, put some things in songs that I wouldn't have put in nowadays, but um, no, not really. Um, I like a lot of what I consider to be great songwriters because they are open and interesting and, and kind of bring you into their world. Mm. Um, the first couple streets records i just absolutely loved and obsessed over for ages um kind of because of the monotony of of what the songs are about like a grand don't come for free now those aren't personable songs but those are just the ability to write an entire album about losing a thousand pounds behind yeah. a tv set like just blew my mind and <laughs> yeah some of the lyrics might come off super personal, but they're not all, really. A lot of the times I'm writing in a character or I'm writing from someone else's perspective, it just may not be obvious Yeah. to anyone, to anyone except me. Well, that was kind of my next point, is that the other thing that I do like, even though it's, as I said, it's, it's kind of that raw sort of abruptness to some of it, it's almost kind of like you're you're telling a story. So is that something that you kind of consciously do or is that something that i'm reading into a bit too much um i think it's just yes i think i i do in certain songs for sure i i love storytelling songwriting um and i think that's that's a, a position that i strive for mm. um they're not all like that but no no of course of like like people are pets and bull cutters and things like that those are songs that are more kind of 
supposed to unravel a, a, a small short story mm. and obviously as well as kind of in your songs like in previous interviews and things you've been kind of very open up front and one of the things that you've t- even spoke been speaking about whilst we've been chatting is obviously that you used to drink quite a lot but obviously you've kind of changed sort of that went gone sober and things like that so from a personal perspective how has that kind of one changed your sort of outlook in life in general but two sort of changed how you approach like music and sort of the way that you're kind of going about with single mothers and sort of going on tours and things has it changed how you've approached those aspects um well i don't know if it's changed the way i've approached them at all but it's i think it's definitely helped my productivity a lot um like we we did a, a drew thompson foundation record this year and a single mother's record this year and i've done a few eps um that aren't that aren't out yet the drew thompson foundation record isn't out yet but i wouldn't i probably just wouldn't have been able to do two records this year if i was constantly <laughs> yeah. going out and getting drunk um touring is made it's, it's so much easier touring i being hung over all the time and just depressed um and in that spiral of trying to drink to get out of the out of the depression and then feeling good for a few hours and then having to come back was was really starting to get to me um and i in one of the things that kind of annoyed me a lot was how single mothers got this party punk label attached to it in certain places and i wrote a lot about drinking just because that's was a big part of my life but mm. i never meant to glorify it in any way it was whenever i write about drinking or well, whenever i wrote about drinking in the past i i think i was trying to um maybe highlight the more negative aspects of it and, yeah um and uh so now with this record now that i'm just not drinking i don't have any songs about drinking <laughs> nice. Fair enough. yeah yeah because it's not, it's not something i condone it, i was just uh I was very reliant on alcohol. I have high anxiety, and especially going up on stage for the first handful of shows was absolutely terrifying. And then just even just talking to people at the shows would be uh, not a nightmare uh, because I, I everybody's so nice, but just my anxieties would just go go skyrocket. Mm. Um, and so I would use booze just to try and curb all that stuff. But yeah, sobriety has definitely been a positive thing in my in my life, and. Um, it's not always easy, but it's it's definitely for me personally worth sticking to for I don't know as long as I can. Yeah, and just but I just want to ask one more quick thing about this because obviously you, you mentioned there kind of with the the anxiety side of things, obviously turning to booze kind of made it easier. But since you've gone sober, obviously those kind of things, as you say, kind of going up on stage, people coming up to you after afterwards and things still exist. So have you found like different ways of kind of coping with that or have you found it easier sort of now when when fans approach you and things like that because you've kind of almost you've got used to it for being in the band for so long um yeah like we play small venues so it's inevitable like you're you're usually just hanging out with the, yeah of the course that come to the show um it's it's definitely easier i think my biggest problem was for years i just never thought i could do a lot of things without booze like i i just relied on it to bring out a certain part of my personality and um now just making myself do it it's become a lot easier i just i just had to realize i didn't need the booze as Mm. much as i thought i did um 
so I, it's still like awkward. I'm just an awkward guy to talk to. Um, but, um, but it gets, it gets easier. And being on stage is just, I, I like being on stage sober a lot now. <laughs> it, took yeah. a little, it was a bit of a bell curve, but, um, no, I think we play a lot better and I don't forget the words as much or fall down. <laughs> much, so. that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, I definitely think we put on a better show now. <laughs> um, before we get through uh, to through all, obviously, I do want to quickly talk about uh, the Drew Thompson Foundation. So, how do, obviously I know kind of you've been writing music for for years, and as you mentioned, the very top of the the talk, obviously, you used to play guitar. So, was that just kind of starting that up as a solo project? Was that just to kind of do a side of music that wasn't sing like that you weren't getting the satisfaction from single mothers um yeah pretty much like I, i've just always written songs on an acoustic guitar they've always been really simple but it's it's my favorite thing in the world to do is just sit down with a few chords and, and write out a song i just never ever did anything with them um and my friend mike who plays in the foundation with me he had some recording time with a guy in Toronto that he couldn't make, um, and he just kind of convinced me to, to take it off his hands for him, and um, I said, yeah, sure, you know, I'll, I'll go in and do it, and that's that became the EP that we released, mm. and um, that was kind of the push forward I needed just to get some of those songs actually recorded instead of just being in my head or being on little crappy demos I recorded in my bedroom. Yeah. Um, and so it, again, like I just kind of fell into it. It came, the opportunity came, um, just through through him. If he didn't have that recording time, I probably never would have actually recorded <laughs> yeah. the songs well. Um, I also procrastinate a lot, um, but yeah, I, I just love writing songs. Um, single mother stuff, I, I love just yelling over, but but actually sitting down with some chords and a guitar and and humming out and then writing some words is. is mm is my my other passion for sure well going back to what i mentioned earlier is obviously the the uniqueness of your of your voice obviously with the kind of solo stuff it's it isn't you shouting so i guess because before that was kind of out in the wider sphere so to say the only exposure to you was single mothers so what was kind of people's initial reaction like when you put the drew thompson foundation out into the public sphere was was it kind of surprise, or did people were people quite welcoming to to what they had? Um, it's been pretty welcoming. I think nobody said anything bad to my face yet. <laughs> um, so I think I had put out a seven inch with um, No Sleep Records a few years ago of a couple acoustic songs, and um, Jeremy Bolm through Secret Voice had put out a tape back in 2014 of four songs that I recorded off the floor um in la when we were stopped there for a tour um so it wasn't like the very first thing i think some people have had heard yeah for the majority of people that have that it's it's a new thing for um everybody's been really great about it and and super super nice and and um yeah all the feedback has been really really wonderful which is nice and in terms of kind of touring the the Drew Thompson Foundation is it a case of do do you prioritize like single mothers or is it just a case of when you've got downtime on one you want to pick up the other how how are you kind of balancing your time between the two 
Um, yeah, I'm pretty unorganized. Uh, <laughs> so, so just I just kind of like let whatever happens happens. Um, it's kind of just whenever one whenever I have some spare time, if we can do some foundation shows or if foundation has got some time off and do some single mother stuff. We haven't really gotten that far yet, um, but. I, I think it'll be kind of easy to balance the two. Uh, a lot of the guys that play in single mothers also play play in the foundation, so it's it's pretty it's a pretty easy situation. Yeah, to just it's quite interchangeable off, like, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky. And obviously, a few weeks ago, out of nowhere, through a wall drops and blows everyone's mind. Um, so, what? Why? the decision to kind of drop a surprise record um i well i'm again like i'm pretty impatient um and i don't like sitting on things for too long and we had this record out and we were trying to like figure out what to do with it and we're just like "Ah, just drop it like i think the kind of the days of having a three or six month rollout is is over now um it's it's going the way of of CDs and um, now everybody just streams on Spotify anyways so why kind of tease people for a few months just put it out get it out there <laughs> uh, yeah that, that's really it um, I don't want to wait around you no. only live once put out as much stuff as you can well because that was the kind of thing because obviously with part of what I do obviously you get the the PR roll throughs of sort of right this record's coming out in X day, so you've got sort of like the build up to it and so on and so forth. Okay, this band's dropping that single, but I wasn't expecting it at all, and it's been an absolute huge pleasant surprise to see it and kind of listen to it since it's kind of been out. So was was there an aspect of kind of you wanting to give something that? people weren't expecting to see this year or is it just kind of as you say down to that impatience um yeah like i did i definitely just uh it's nice to to be able to put out a record that nobody was expecting and just kind of go here you go Um, (laughs) and we we did a similar thing with the meltdown ep we put out a couple years ago where like i think i got those masters back Thursday at 6 p.m. or something, and I had it out on Bandcamp like a couple hours later. I, yeah. I don't know. I just like doing that stuff. Um, yeah, there wasn't really a big plan or anything towards it. It was just I want to put it out and I want people to listen to it and I want to be on the road and play new songs. So it was the easiest way to do it. Mm. And in terms of the the record as a whole, like obviously one of the things as you mentioned is kind of having written it sober and obviously there's again there's that sort of bluntness to to the lyrics but when you kind of came to writing it were you going into it with any kind of themes or anything in mind or is it just sort of what you were kind of was on your mind at the moment um i knew i wanted to to make a record that i really wanted to play that i i'd love playing live um and our pleasure, I absolutely love that record. But a lot of the songs are a bit slower. And um, as much as I do like playing those songs live, I, I get a kick out of playing the really fast stuff. Yeah. And so I decided, like, I wanted to make a fast record that would translate well live, that I was excited to write about live or play live. 
Um, and so that was kind of the only direction we had was was just like I want to do a fast record. Mm. Um, and lyrically, I wrote all the songs pretty fast. Um, I I was reading uh, a couple Murakami books. I went on this solo tour with Dave Haas, uh across Canada, where I, I went out alone and I. Some of the drives were like 10, 11 hour drives, and I was listening to some Murakami books on tape. And um, I'd been reading a lot of Kurt Vonnegut, and I just wanted to make kind of a lyrically a few of the songs kind of more interesting in, in those veins. Mm. Um, and that that was pretty much it. Like I lost my my I grew up with my grandmother, with my mom, but with a lot of the time with my grandmother. Uh, and she passed away a couple of years ago. And since I got sober, um, I think that that kind of this is my first big loss. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And some yeah. of the songs revolve around around that and just wishing things could have gone differently. Or um, Sobering up is, is really interesting because you, when you're drinking all the time, you don't realize the time you're wasting until... Uh, until the kind of haze is cleared and lifted yeah. and look back at your life and really I, I was a different person um, when I was drinking every single day and so I kind of felt renewed and like a new person that had just had not wasted the last 10 years but definitely not done what I could have with it and so those themes I think kind of weave in and out of the album mm. um, yeah I, I, I don't really put too much thought going into it about what I want to do and obviously we've spoken about kind of the sort of changing it, it line up in bands and sort of like the the time that you spent away from it obviously sort of gaps between sort of getting records out as well but I don't know from an outside perspective there's always been a, a solid kind of fan base for for single mothers so was there ever a point when you kind of saw that and you thought, oh, people actually, like, give a shit about my band kind of thing? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think whenever I see a single mother's tattoo, I feel proud and ashamed at the same time. It's a weird feeling. But was there ever kind of, like, I don't, not like a light bulb moment, but, like... Was there was there a moment that you kind of thought right okay like things are clicking into gear like people like we're we're on a wave of momentum and of, as I say like with the release of Through a Wall like as soon as that record dropped like all of my sort of Twitter timeline and everything that's all anyone could talk about sort of thing so was there a moment oh, that you kind of remember like thinking oh like people are actually there they they're invested in in single mothers. I, I definitely remember like when the seven inch started taking off, just being blown away by how uh, how people cared and how much people like looked into the lyrics and things like that. Um, uh, with through wall, I kind of feel the same way where people are just it's yeah we're getting a lot of great feedback and it is exciting definitely for me to have people like the record. I it did it wasn't easy writing and, and making this record. Um, so, yeah, I guess there's not. I can't really think of a light bulb moment. One thing was playing Reading and Leeds in 2015. That was an amazing thing. And mm. when we got 
the offer for that, I was like, holy shit, are we a real band all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. like, is, this, is this a real thing? But then the next year, we, we had some lineup changes, and I took some time off from the band, so it slowed down a bit. But definitely, any time we ever get an offer to play a festival, I'm always just like, wow. I won't take up too much of more of your time. Obviously, you just wanted to um, kind of touch upon, obviously, you mentioned Reading and Lees there, so... I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Are there plans for for single mothers to come back over here in the UK anytime soon? Um, there's some stuff in the works, but uh, nothing confirmed enough that I can talk about it yet. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, and just in terms of kind of what you're kind of doing, obviously with the foundation, single mothers, like have you got sort of stuff in the pipeline that you can talk about? Uh, yeah, we're doing, um, Single Mothers are doing a North American tour in November. Uh, um, we're doing Canada in the States, um, and we've got a, show, a few shows around here before that. And with Foundation stuff, I've got a new album recorded. I'm not sure when that's going to end up coming out, but um, probably like early 2019. And uh, Alex Newport produced it and we we went out to LA to record with him and it was it was fantastic experience I'm really happy about it and, and proud of that record so cool. hope we can get over to the UK with it cool uh, well think my fingers are crossed <laughs> oh, thanks um how I like to to finish things off though Drew I like to ask my guests uh what their kind of favorite song is that they've written but with a bit of a twist so obviously we're talking predominantly about single mothers so what is your favorite single mother's song that you like to play live and why? Ooh, I always like playing Money Live because it's the last song on the set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people seem to like that one too. Even like we, we did a tour opening for Enter Shikari actually uh, last year through North America. And it was, their crowd had no interest in us whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But um, the, the one song people did always ask about at the merch table was money and they would always go like hey what, what was that last song you guys played that was okay i didn't love the rest of them but that last <laughs> song was all right um <laughs> and so i just i don't know i always love playing that one it's just uh it's a nice set closer yeah that's cool uh, just because you've mentioned it i've got to ask how, how was and shikari uh they're really really nice guys and they put on one hell of a one hell of a show yeah that... I actually i never really listened to them before that tour um and i I probably haven't listened to them much after but they (laughs) definitely put on one hell of a performance yeah um and it was it was impressive to watch rue is a hell of a front man yeah they um they headlined a festival over here this this year and it was it was the first time i'd seen them in a good 10 years and i was just blown away of like the comparison from the last time i saw them to, to now how sort of polished and everything they were so yeah they were, they were pretty pretty rad nowadays yeah they're they're an incredible live band it's they you know they're 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 set up they had their own light rig they had like you know obviously their own sound guy and stuff but they brought over sparky their um i don't know if it's a robot they're like their synth thing yeah yeah um and and that was a trip because we've ne- we've never toured with a band really with that kind of production value in their set, so it was very impressive. And I uh, I wish them all the best, all, <laughs> always. Perfect. Well, Drew, really hope that we see you over here in the UK soon. Thank you very much for for taking the time to to talk to me. Really appreciate it, and best of luck with everything. 
Great, thank you, thank you very much, Tim. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you know now that I have you on Skype when we're coming over. Yeah, I look forward to it. Take care. Okay. See ya. Cheers. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Thanks again to Drew for taking some time to have a little chat with me. Uh, as always, you can keep up to date with what single mothers are doing on all the various social media platforms, as well as Drew's solo project, uh, the Drew Thompson Foundation. Um, all the relevant links to both bands, both projects, whatever you want to call them, will be in the description of this episode. Um, before we leave you to it and enjoy the rest of your day, night, evening, whenever you're listening to this, um, on a kind of a sadder note, good friends of mine and former podcast guests, Noya Mathers, uh, are playing their last show in Portsmouth uh, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day that the show comes out, so it'll be Wednesday. Um, so if you're in Portsmouth or nearby or fancy travelling down to come and give them the send-off they deserve, then please do. They, they're they one of my favourite bands, uh, and they're just really nice dudes. Their music's really cool, and it'd be cool to see them get a packed out room for their for their final show which i'm sure it will be but yeah just to to give that a little push anyway but yeah that's it for another week uh thank you as always for stopping by the justin insight podcast and i'll see you soon